that was not the same day, Lair Bear. How did he get here? Hello and welcome to Pass the Hot Sauce, a Roswell podcast. I'm Aliza Ora. I'm Lisa Abigail. And I'm Lorena Rose. We're here to talk about every episode of the 1999 WB series Roswell, one episode at a time and spoiler free. Today, we are discussing season one, episode 13, The Convention. According to IMDb, this is the one where the annual UFO convention has Michael looking for answers while Max's life is in danger from an old friend of Valenti's. Max and Michael struggle with their feelings for Maria and Liz, while Isabel asks for space from Alex. This episode was written by Emily Whitesell, who also produced and wrote on the shows American Dreams and Life Unexpected, uh, the latter of which starred Sherry Appleby. This was directed by Tucker Gates, It's his only episode of Roswell, but he has directed a ton of other stuff. His very first directing credits were on two episodes of 21 Jump Street. He went on to do a couple episodes of The X-Files. He directed uh, the Buffy episode Fear Itself, which is the one with the haunted frat house on Halloween. Oh, And he directed the Angel episode Hero, which, if you're familiar with Angel, is a heartbreaker, but a great episode. That's a good one. From the first season, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh. And if you recognize Tucker Gates's name, but you don't watch one of these shows, you might know him from American Dreams, Carnival, Alias, Lost, The Office, Parks and Rec, House of Cards, Bates Motel, The Good Place, Ray Donovan, Homeland, or a bunch of other things. He's he's pretty prolific. Carnival is one of my all-time favorite shows. Oh, so good. <laughs> Will I shock you if I say I've never seen it? <laughs> It's about a traveling carnival. Have you seen any of the shows on that long list? I've seen Alias. I've seen okay. The Good Place. Okay. Okay. That might be it. You haven't seen any of Lost? No. Or Parks and Rec? Oh, no. I've seen Parks and Rec. Sorry. You did oh, say that good. too. Yes. Okay. Great. Oh, my yeah. goodness. Whew. Thank God. <laughs> Back to this show. This episode originally aired on the 2nd of February, 2000. Before we dive into our episode today, folks, we wanted to take just a moment to share some other great podcasts with you that you might love if you are loving Pass the Hot Sauce. Seth Cohen, Brooke Davis, Blair Waldorf. Sound familiar? It Takes Three Network houses shows surrounding your favorite nostalgic teen dramas. Whether you are watching for the first time or you're binging for the fifth time, you'll definitely want to check us out. You can listen to Tree Hill Talk, Let's Talk OC, and Three Gossip Girls on your preferred listening platform. And for more information, visit ittakes3network.com. We open with a previously on that had a lot of information, which I think is a good indicator that this is a very plot-heavy episode. Yes. Yeah, it did have a lot of a lot of previously on we had a lot of backstory and things we had to touch on from the first half of the season right like it wasn't just last episode so we start at the 10th annual ufo convention and there are some ladies in little uh shiny jumpsuits and knee-high boots. i know they look so cute and then there is a completely unnecessarily ominous alien staring down Liz while creepy music plays underneath. And I think it's very obvious that this is going to be Max, so I don't know why they built it up so much. 
Oh, I did not think it was going to be Max when I went back to, I mean, I haven't seen this episode in quite a while, so I forgot about that little tidbit of info, and I was watching it, and I was like, who is this? Like, and the creepy breathing, it was not obvious to me until later when they revealed him, and I was like, oh, okay, this makes sense. And there are finally people sitting at the Crashdown's outdoor tables. Also, I would like to point out that this is what I considered a half laugh because it does look like Liz is laughing, but because there's no sound, there's really no way to know. It could just Mm -hmm. be like a wide smile, but I'm going to call it a half laugh because my friend who I was watching the episode with, when I asked them, does it look like she's laughing? They said yes. So after this, we go to the sheriff's office where Valenti is walking in with Deputy Hansen, who tells the sheriff they've gotten 14 calls about last week's sighting, but they're just going to keep pushing the dry lightning story. And this is where I started wondering, uh, we had a mention that Agent Stevens from the FBI called. Did Valenti ever call him back? Wouldn't the FBI have looked into this sighting? Wouldn't they have, like, sent someone surreptitiously to the UFO convention and tried to find out more? Like, last time when the shooting happened and they thought maybe something was involved, they, like, sent a guy to just sit in the lobby of the FBI or of the sheriff's office and, like, just hang out. And they took all their files and then they sent it to Polsky. This seems like something that had a lot more witnesses. Maybe they just don't want to work with Valenti anymore and they're dealing with that on their own. Maybe they did send someone and that person's just undercover. Oh, and they're much better at being undercover than Topolsky was. And then Valenti gets into his office and there's some dude sitting there calling him Junior. They obviously have some uh, history together, although we don't know what it is yet. We don't, but I do think it's pretty clear that this guy is going to be the villain because he is so creepy and cold and just generally awful just really ominous like the way he talks so i thought it was interesting that his name is everett hubble which like presumably he's named after the hubble telescope or the guy the telescope was named after edwin hubble who was just like a great astronomer yeah so i question that name choice but tom bauer who plays hubble was in an episode of the X-Files where he played a sheriff, and he was also Marvin the Janitor in Die Hard 2, which starred William Sadler as Mm. the villain. I don't think they had any scenes together, (laughs) but I like to think they were It could be buds. We don't know. Yeah, they were on set together. So Hubble is right that there is an appalling lack of security if he could just get in and sit at the sheriff's office, especially because, as we've seen, the sheriff keeps police files in his office about ongoing investigations. This is a big problem. Someone needs (laughs) to get fired probably for this. Probably a lot of people do. But, you know, we've already established all the adults are terrible at their jobs. So that's true. Uh, The only deputy that we ever really seem to see is Hanson. And Jim tells him that deputy was a bona fide alien hunter. Bum, 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 credits. And then when we come back from our opening credits, we are back at the UFO Center taking in the 10th annual convention. And that's when we see that scary alien again. Yep, yep. But this time he's going, I'm a human trapped in an alien body. Which is funny because, you know, one could argue that Max is actually the other way around. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And Isabel and Michael don't know it's him at first until he pulls off the head of the costume to reveal a soaking wet Max soaked in his own sweat. I would be sweaty too. Yeah. I kind of appreciated this because, yeah, you would be very sweaty in that thing. It would have been bad if he had pulled it off and just had, like, shampoo commercial hair ready to go. Yeah. I mean, he was outside in New Mexico. It's got to be hot. Although, as Isabel points out, this does mean that they've just <laughs> lost their last shred of dignity. Hey, he's it's his job. Yeah, there are actually some really solid lines in this episode. I will try to point them out as they come up because several times I was like, oh, that's cute. That's clever. Good dialogue. Great job, Yeah, there writers. were a lot of things that I liked, too. And then we head back over or head to the crash down for the first time in this episode. And uh, Liz is dealing with all of the crazy customers who are there for the convention, including um, Xena Plox, who uh, is here for the convention. That's uh, my personal favorite. Came all the way from planet Zetagon. That must have been a long trip. I actually looked this up just to see if it was like some secret reference to something. Mm. It's not. I thought about looking it up and then I figured one of you two would probably look it up. So I didn't look it up. Yeah. <laughs> I was right. Good call. This is Liz has a, a cute comeback where she he's like, I'm going to destroy humanity. And she's like, well, it's a good thing you're eating a hearty breakfast then. Yeah, she's really good humored about it. You can see her. Like, if she if she had been in the South, she would have been like, oh, well, bless your heart. You sure are going to destroy humanity, you. Yeah, it's like she's really good humored, and you can tell that she has been doing this for years. But she is not so cool when Larry and Jen come in. It is very obvious on her face that she is yeah. nervous. And then just in case we didn't remember who Larry and Jen are, we get a nice flashback to the day that Liz got shot. She relives it all in her brain in an instant when she sees their faces and we realize that she knows them from before. Just in case we were watching this show in real time 20 years ago when you couldn't just like binge watch a whole season and you might need a refresher of what happened four months ago. And when they walk in, Jen is acting like you know, kind of normal-ish. Larry, on the other hand, is being so weird, so rude. You know, he's like, shall we get a seat? Jen, without looking at her. Beverage, Jen. He's um, he's being really smug. Yeah. And then he, he says, why don't you tell me what really happened in September? And it's clearly supposed to be like a gotcha. But like, he's a grown man talking to a teenage girl. So it's already kind of gross. And then it's also like, She's clearly distressed to see them. It's not like he's like, oh, I'm pulling one over on the man. It's like, this is a girl who you're just bothering at her place of employment. A girl who isn't the one you're accusing of being an alien. Yeah. You know, like maybe she doesn't know much about it. But, you know, it's nothing new. Uh, men bothering women at their workplace or anywhere for that matter. Ugh, fair point. And then we go to the offices of the UFO Center where we get another super cute exchange where Max tells Michael he wants to talk to him about something personal. And Michael says, oh, nothing's too personal until Max asks, how'd you do it with Maria? And Michael's like, just deadpan, <laughs> too personal. Very cute. Also, are we implying that they have had sexual intercourse? I mean, I think we're definitely implying mm. that. Mm. I, didn't I didn't take that from it. Just because it's a teenager show 
Because no teenagers are having sex. And because on teenager shows in the 90s, they told you when they were having sex. that's true. (laughs) That's true. And because I feel like, you know, we would have learned because she would have told Liz about that. But it is implying that they're doing something. Yeah. Well, Michael then has another adorable line where he says, Maxwell, which I love when he calls him Maxwell. You got to be strong. You can't let yourself be led around by your pointed look at Max's crotch. Yes. Energy source. (laughs) I love that line. And I think that we should refer to men's penises as energy sources on this and all subsequent episodes of the show. But Michael does give helpful advice for Max to just throw himself into something. And so then we get Yay, Milton. Milton. Yay. Who is so stressed out. But he also is like happy with the way the festival is going. And he says it's kismet. And this is the first of two times the word is used in this episode. Aliza, I don't know about you. I always knew this as a Yiddish word. Oh, I did not. But apparently it is. Apparently it's Turkish from the Arabic. But it means the same Mm. thing, which is like fate or destiny. Also, I'd like to point out that Max is back in work clothes and dry. And when did he take a shower? His hair looks like... Now he has shampoo commercial hair, despite the fact that it's only slightly later Mm -hmm. in the day and he presumably has not left work or freshened up very much. Oh, you guys. Recreational use of powers. Oh, yeah. That's what it must have been. Good point. Good point. Figured it out. See, we mm, forgot. Uh-huh. We forgot he can manipu- manipulate molecular structure using his powers. Yeah. He could manipulate his hair dry and perfectly quaffed again. And oh, wouldn't that be so great? This is probably what happens. Just would never have to take a shower again unless I want to. I could just yeah, whoosh. perfect. So this is also when we see Maria putting up the alien takedown sign. Hmm. About which Michael is very offended. Yes. Yeah, I would like to point out the full name of this event is Amy DeLuca Presents Alien Takedown, The Alienator versus Raging Ray. (laughs) I would buy a ticket to that. And Michael says, I'm over here. What does he say? I'm over here trying to figure out the meaning of my existence. He's very upset that that this wrestling match is happening while he's trying to figure out his life. Yeah, something about the you kooks putting on a freak show. Yes, and Amy comes up and says, nothing personal, but this freak show keeps my kooky daughter and myself off the yes, streets. Amy. Which, all right, Amy. You tell him. And then Maria is like, hey, dude, you made a bad impression on my mom. And Michael's like, why would I want to make an impression? Why uh, do I care? Michael. Whatever, Michael. It's fine. He'll redeem himself later. Sort of. Hmm. I think Jonathan Frakes is doing a a good job here, playing himself, but in this clearly comical way. He must be a pretty good humored guy to be doing that. I think it's cute. He's very displeased that Shatner and Stewart got the only two suites at the Tumbleweed Motel. <laughs> You're putting Shatner and Stewart in a motel? I gavolt. Speaking <sighs> of Yiddish. So Max... Max ends up getting bullied into moving Freaks to another motel so he can have a motel suite too. What is a motel suite even? Yeah, I was going to say, I don't, I doubt the Tumbleweed Motel even had two suites, let alone one. I mean, they might have knocked out the walls between two different rooms and created a bigger room. Like, that's really all I can picture a motel doing, throwing a couch in there. 
I feel like the only thing they have would be like maybe a honeymoon suite and it would be like the porno motel that Maria and Michael accidentally went yes. to. There would just be like a round bed. And like a hot tub in the room. Yes. Instead of the bathroom. A mirror on the ceiling. I'm going to just imagine William Shatner and Patrick Stewart. They show up and they're like, oh, there only was one suite after all. Guess we'll have to share. And then hijinks ensue. Um, so this is when Milton introduces Max and Hubble. Mm-hmm. You know, he introduces him as, you know, one of the only people who is rumored to have had a real encounter. And this is a guy who disappeared for 30 years, blah, blah, blah. And Hubble, so grateful at being talked up like this, um, says, nice little souvenir shop here, Milty. So condescending. What the hell? He also briefly freaks Max out by telling him that the alien looked just like him. Or yeah. me. Or anyone. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha They're not little green men, you know. And Max is like, ha 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 I knew that's what you meant. Ha ha. Because <laughs> Max is not great at staying calm in his facial expressions. No. He is not. Okay, then, y'all, we go to the Valenti house, and it is the same one we saw last Good time. I'm them. so excited for Yay! Jim. I think maybe after that conversation with his dad, he was like, I need some more stability in my life for the sake of my yeah. son. We're not going to move anymore. We're going to stay in one of the houses on this sprawling compound that yes, we own. Yes, yes. I'm going to be a better dad to my son, and we're not going to move again right away. And speaking of Kyle, I kind of wish he had been in this episode. Maybe it would have been hard to fit him in, but it would have been good to carry through the fathers and sons storyline that we started Mm -hmm. and like really explore how Jim's changing relationship with his father would also change his relationship with his son. That's the part of this that I think so far we've been missing. I feel like we get sort of a parallel to that situation, though, at the very end, which we can talk about when we get there. It's not with Kyle, it's with Max, but... You see his perspective changing a little bit. Yeah. And Jim is looking through a box labeled Dad's Personal, which has work-related things, like his sheriff's badge. And then there's a newspaper with the very poorly written headline from a December 8th, 1972 newspaper. And the headline is, Roswell Sheriff taken in for questioning for the silo murder. Exposition. Oh, so questioning, questioning for the silo murder is his crime? Yes. Um, This is the first of two terrible headlines we'll see in this episode. (laughs) So get excited, everybody. I'm so excited. And then we go back to the UFO Center where Max is at the information booth just flat out refusing to give out information to a child. See, I see it differently, whereas I think that the information booth Mm -hmm. is information about the museum and not about, like, all alien information ever found out. Or information about the convention. Like, where do I find the bathroom? Right. Like, when are the panels? Yeah. All right. I think he should have been a little friendlier and a little more customer service oriented. But I think he was taken aback by a kid walking up just saying, why'd they kill the aliens? (laughs) (laughs) But the kid just evaporates when Liz walks in. We get some slow motion. Yes. Michael standing behind Max helpfully just says, mud. Max is like, what? He's like, yeah, think about mud when you see Liz. Which, if he knew this tip earlier, why didn't he say that when Max asked him for help? Yeah, he gave him the advice to distract himself with other things, but then maybe when he's like, well, now you can't avoid seeing her, so think about mud. Yeah, like, last resort, just think about mud. 
And so Liz is trying to share with him some pertinent information that like could actually create trouble for him. And he 100% just tunes her out and is just like looking at how pretty she is. And then is just like mud. Oh, mud pie. I want to talk about what were we talking about? Lunch? Yeah. And Liz is like, what? And she's just like, okay. And then he's like, uh, I, I got to go. Yeah, he just blows her off. For once, Liz is like, hey, through no fault of my own, you are now in danger and I'm trying to alert you to it. And Max is like, you're pretty goy. That's how I talk to girls I like. And then Amy DeLuca gets blown off too because Jim is busy making eyes at Hubble. Poor Amy. I don't like this storyline with her and Jim. I agree. I don't like the storyline. But uh, this is where we get our other half laugh of the episode. So I would say all in all, there is one laugh in this episode because there are two half laughs. Two halves equal a whole. Who's the half laugh in this scene? Amy DeLuca. She does this awkward, like, (laughs) every time she's around him. Because the last time they were in an episode together, she did the same thing. I remember that. Mm, that's just her, like, nervous, flirty yeah, laugh. That's why I only consider it a half laugh. She's not, like, laughing at anything that's funny. Then we have a gender reversal where Alex is the one getting blown off by Isabel. And I thought it was a little, I don't know, when Alex is like, oh, I just happened to be here. I wasn't following you. And then Maria shows up and is like, oh, good. Alex was looking for you, Isabel. This seems, like, a little out of touch. It's also, like, I don't know, to... To Alex's credit, or like to Alex's defense, rather, I feel like if he had been following her, he would have known where she was. Whereas like he went to this event, he could have been just like, oh, is Isabel here? Have you seen her? It's not like he's like following her every move. They're friends. He wants to see if his friend is there. Yeah, I think in this scene, it's fine. Later. mm, Yes. No, agreed. Especially because she specifically said in this scene, you need to stop following me, Alex. Yeah. She is wearing her unfortunate look from the last episode with the two little braids in the front and the dark clothes. I don't know what they're trying to say with this look, but... Well, the little braids in the front was a thing in that era. I am pretty sure that I styled my hair similarly at that time in my life, unfortunately. (laughs) Um, I also noticed that, like, when Maria outs him, Isabel kind of smiles... And then mm-hmm. as he walks off, so he's not even seeing her anymore, she kind of smiles a little bigger. It seems like a genuine smile. Like, to me, it, it was not her, like, smiling, like, laughing that Maria just outed him, but smiling, like, Aww. because he does like her and she's, like, she finds it endearing. Yeah. But then it's, like, mm-hmm. if you find it endearing, why are you being so mean? Well, I think, like, she likes him. Like, she says later, she does genuinely like yeah, him. And I think she's... Maybe not flattered by the attention because she gets a ton of attention, but I think she like appreciates the attention. But she's already told him that she doesn't want their relationship to develop. And yeah. so when he is trying to push that, she's like, Hey, I told you my expectations and my boundaries, and yeah. you need to respect yeah. them. Yeah, no, that's and that's he's right. just like, But I like you. You're right. Yeah, no, I think she does legitimately like him. She just doesn't feel like it can or should go anywhere. And like you said, like, she does get a ton of attention, but um, because she has been in his dreams, she knows that his intentions are more pure. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah. so his attention means more than attention from other people. Yeah, for sure. So then we go to Hubble and Valenti talking outside. Mm-hmm. Yep. And Hubble's, like, being weird and kind of basically offering Valenti information about his dad. 
He's like, don't you want to know what really happened? He's being super manipulative. Yes. He's like, I can help you. We can help each other. But it's just so clearly coming from just this like gross, marmy place. Yeah. And based on what we know later, like he's also showing no remorse for having Jim Sr. wrongly accused of murder. And as we find out, I thought he was in an assisted living facility when we first saw him. But no, he is in what they call an asylum because he has been, I guess, declared mentally incompetent to stand trial or for whatever reason he has been committed to this Mm -hmm. facility seemingly against his will yeah instead of being in prison for a murder right i do want to say there's a really really cool like car spaceship submarine looking thing right outside the ufo center i was very distracted by that because it was super awesome and i want to know who in props or whatever was working on that and if i can ride in that i noticed that as well it looked very cool And now we go to, it's day two at the convention, I believe, right? And we have a nice... Yes, that's what the little text tells us. I liked the little bit of comedy again with Frakes with doing his handprints in the in the like new walk of fame like he's the inaugural person to be in the walk of fame and he tries to stick his hands in the cement and he like goes into the elbows because the cement isn't set yet. I thought that was a nice little bit of comedy and Milton and Max have to pull him out. But like set or not, how and why was it that deep? Right. Yes, it was not realistic, but I still giggled. No, but it was funny. (laughs) We got a Lorena laugh count in this episode for that. Oh, okay. All right, so that's one and two halves. Yeah. So then we go to the crash down where Jennifer is reading Women Are From Mars and Men Are From Venus, and she's hyped up on coffee. Yes. And crying about Larry. Eight cups of coffee, to be exact. Yeah. Yeah. I really didn't like this. Jen says Larry hates it when she cries. And it seems like she meant more like he would be mad and not like, oh, he hates when I cry because he hates when I'm sad and he wants to help me. This seemed like, oh, he hates it when I do this. So I need to hide that I'm crying. Like he tells me not to. Abort. Abort. No. Drop him. Red flag. Drop him like a hot potato and go back to wherever you hit the road from. Yeah, it's a red flag in any relationship, romantic or otherwise. But it does give Liz an opportunity to start bonding with Jen. And over at the UFO Center, Michael singles out Hubble as someone who might be like a real UFO enthusiast, which I think is either very intuitive of him or very convenient for the sake of the plot. Mm Mm-hmm. And Max wants Hubble to be on the roundtable panel, and Hubble tells him, this place you're working at, this place is a joke. If these people knew the truth, they wouldn't all be laughing so damn hard. (laughs) But as Elisa has pointed out to us, they're not laughing that hard. They hardly laugh at all. No, they're not laughing. (laughs) I was listening very closely. Nobody was laughing. Also, why is he here? It's like, so why are you here on the most busy day, arguably the you know, worst day to visit the museum? Plot. If it's such a joke, why are you here? Yeah, exactly. There's not a good reason. I mean, I guess he's there for the same reason that there's a higher turnout at the fest at the convention this year because of the recent sighting in the woods. So he also has come yeah. to town mm-hmm. to continue his research. Right. So that's why I get, you know, the reason that he's in Roswell. 
but at the museum, I don't know if he thinks it's such a joke souvenir shop. Um, he also tells Max when Max asks him to be on the panel, I'm a doer, not a talker, kid. I'm like, okay, dude. <laughs> but Max, I guess, becomes suspicious or curious about Hubble and looks him up on the UFO search engine. We find out Hubble was born November 14th, 1947. His current residence and occupation are unknown. And the note section says, quote, witness to 1972 silo murder outside of Roswell, New Mexico. The silo murder. No, just silo murder. Everyone knows what it is, Eliza. Who's a witness to silo murder? <laughs> it's a thing. It's a proper noun. Silo is capitalized. <laughs> this unsolved murder of a vagrant is most noteworthy for forcing the resignation of Roswell Sheriff James Valenti Sr. due to his alleged involvement in the incident. Ooh. So he wasn't, it sounds like he wasn't arrested, because if he were, it would have said that, right? Mm -hmm. So he was maybe accused, forced to resign, because they thought for whatever reason he wasn't mentally competent to have the job anymore. Maybe because he talked about aliens, probably. All very interesting. So I also don't quite understand how Hubble was able to get everyone to believe that it was Valenti Sr. who did the shooting. Yeah, maybe in 1972, they did, did they have ballistics testing? Because you would think they would just look at the bullet and see which gun it came from. I feel like ballistics testing, um, I feel like it started in the early 1900s. I feel like I've um Yeah, I was going to say, I'm pretty this. sure it was around then. Then, yeah, I have no idea. Like, maybe he took the sheriff's gun and shot the guy, but it doesn't sound like it. But also, like, one guy's word against the other one. You would think a sheriff would be believed. But maybe it did cause, like, maybe the trauma of it caused some sort of, like, mental breakdown for uh, the sheriff. And that's why, like, he wasn't telling a coherent story, maybe. I don't know. Um, I just Googled this. And the first case of forensic firearm examination to be documented was in 1835. I'm looking at the same article, I think. (laughs) So probably by the 70s, they could have figured this out. 150 years later, they had it down pat. Unless somehow Hubble used um, Sheriff Valenti Sr.'s gun to shoot right. the vagrant. How do we feel about the term vagrant? I feel like it's offensive. I don't but They love use it, it a lot in this episode. I feel like drifter is a little better, mm-hmm. but I still don't love drifter. Yeah. But vagrant yeah, like, sounds bad. What's a better... Where I mean, is it... It's not necessarily, well, I guess it is a homeless person, right? Yeah. In theory, yeah. Homeless. Yeah, I feel like just like using vagrant like as a noun it is somewhat dehumanizing, you know? Yeah. It's not like a transient person or like a traveler. It's like a vagrant. It just feels yucky. Right, you wouldn't say a homeless. Oh, people would, I'm sure. <laughs> well, people suck. I wouldn't and you wouldn't. <laughs> At least I know that. I wouldn't either. I'm just going to put that in there. Oh, it was the plural you. Got Don't it. worry. I know you wouldn't. <laughs> no, just me and Lisa. Well, well, we. Jim goes back to visit his dad mm-hmm. again and asks more about the night at the silo. And Jim Sr. says Hubble was obsessed with his wife and kid. And Junior says he didn't have a wife and kid. It seems like the wife would have been a matter of public record. It also seems like Jim would have looked into the shooting when it happened, when his dad was questioned. 
uh, or at least afterwards. I don't know how old he's supposed to have been when it happened. But it really seems like this is something he could have easily found out and would have found out even pre-internet. That's information that is readily available. Yeah. He seems like, so it's like 27 years ago. It seems like he probably would have been a teenager, maybe early 20s. But I feel like the age of Kyle, he probably would have been a teenager 27 years ago. Old enough to ask questions and do some research. Yeah. Maybe he was just avoiding the whole thing because it was too embarrassing. But definitely you would think when he got older, he would have wanted to know more, especially when the whole thing with Max happened and he started thinking maybe aliens were real. In any case, he is surprisingly tender with his dad mm-hmm. in this scene. This is where he sort of is starting to turn the corner and be a little bit more thoughtful and attentive, mm-hmm. which is nice. Yeah, it's really a sweet moment of him, you know, pulling the blanket up over his father who keeps saying he's cold. Yeah, and who thinks that someone's trying to kill him. Mm. But then we head back to the crash down and we get a little of Jen and Larry's backstory now. We found out why Jen is a little more why Jen is so upset. And I'd be upset, too, if, like, I we were going to go elope and then a year later we were still chasing aliens around the country because of a random thing we witnessed in a diner. Like, I'd be pissed off, too. And it seems like Larry is probably not very attentive to her ever. So I can't imagine that her being like, hey, this isn't actually what I want would lead to a productive yeah, conversation. No. Yeah. Uh, Jen's shirt, I believe, says, I can't live on love alone. Oh. Which, subtle choice yeah. costume department. I did not catch that. I think that's what it said. It couldn't quite tell, but I think that was it. If any uh, listeners have a better idea, let me know. And then Liz lets slip that Max is her boyfriend, which seems A, careless, and B, not true. Yeah. (laughs) As we have firmly established, they are not together right now. So, alrighty. Then we head over to the convention at the UFO Center, where they're talking about someone named Grabowski's alien encounter with a smooth-skinned ovoid EBE. I looked up the name Grabowski to see if this was a real uh, person who had claimed to have an alien encounter. Jim Grabowski was a football player for the Chicago Bears, <laughs> but also apparently in Chicago, like the term Grabowski, or maybe it's Grabowski because it's Polish, it's been used as a complimentary term for working class Polish people, as opposed to the slur against Poles that you uh, unfortunately hear. And then it came to just mean like anyone who's a really hard worker. Hmm. Any Chicago listeners, chime in. Let me know if this is actually something people say. Yeah, can you confirm But I found all these articles on like, oh, you gotta be a real Grabowski. But still no alien encounters. No alien encounters that I could find. Okay. And I also, um, EBE, I believe, stands for Extraterrestrial Biological Entity. Fancy. So that's, yeah. Fancy word for alien. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Um, Fancy words for alien. Um, So yeah, it looks like Jonathan Frakes is doing a decent job being the MC of this panel. Um, And then the next person is Larry. So Larry, you know, kind of fanboys over Frakes for a second. Mm -hmm. And then starts telling his story in a a very enthusiastic way, shall we say. (laughs) Boom, uh, boom, 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 
and he's getting a little too close to telling the story. And so Michael panics and shows us a new power that he has. Now, we've seen this one before in episode four, Leaving Normal, when he made the jock really itchy. Oh, that's right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when he thought that, well, when they did beat up, um, when they beat up Max and they thought that it was at Kyle's behest. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I totally forgot that. Okay, so we see this power again, used expertly, I might add, um, mm-hmm. to make Larry less credible, itching all over and kind of not making much sense as he's booming all over the place. Yeah. So this works out great and is like a very good example of quick thinking on Michael's part, except in a room full of paranoid alien lovers, you would think maybe someone would be like, hmm, he was really like telling his story. And then that kid touched him and immediately he started scratching himself all over. I wonder, especially if anyone had seen the very subtle little purple glow that emanated from Michael's hand (laughs) as he touched him. But luckily, it all works out. This is, however, another example of the writers not watching their own show. Larry says that the shooting happened on September 17th. If you recall from the pilot, September 23rd, journal entry one, I'm Liz Parker, and five days ago, I died. Which would have been the 18th. Yes. That was not the same day, Lair Bear. Watch your own show, writers. It's not hard. No, it's not. We do it all the time. Yes. We watch it. And we don't even get paid to do this, writers. We just do this out of the goodness of our hearts and our nerddom. Yes. Just to give back to the community. And then Larry, like, leaves shouting, where's the bullet? Which felt very, like, JFK conspiracy theory. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Also, a discussion that we've had. Yeah. So before commercial break... We get a really quick little scene of Hubble approaching Larry, who appears to be uh, sporting calamine lotion. And Hubble asks him to tell him everything about Max Evans and what he saw that day. Uh oh. And then we cut to day three of the convention. And Amy, one of Amy's wrestlers, has canceled because he got broken ribs last year and he's nervous to come. And we find out that she has a bunch of her money tied up in this event, and she's gonna, the bad things are gonna happen if this event doesn't happen. Well, first we find out that other bad things have happened because Shatner, Stewart, and Nimoy, who we didn't even know was coming, all backed out. And Max is like, I, I thought we weren't supposed to tell him. Yeah, Milton, not do, not being the best boss here, kind of putting it on Max, being like, Evans, you didn't tell him? Yeah. Not Poor cool. Freaks is stuck taking a bunch of tourist photos. This doesn't feel like how convention photos usually <laughs> work, like you just show up and accost the person. But whatever. Max asks about the silo murder, and then Milton is like, oh, you remind me of myself at your age. And then he says that Hubble doesn't talk to anyone about his experiences, which is interesting based on what happens later with Valenti. But people think that Hubble found an alien and has been tracking him ever since, and he may be closer than anyone else. Oh, Milton, sweetie. (laughs) You have no idea. You're closer than anybody else. Okay, so then we go to Amy. And she says half of her annual revenue is tied up in this one wrestling match. Which, like, how is, so is she, first of all, selling 
Like, this is a separate ticketed event at the convention. And how much is she charging for this and how many people come? <laughs> if this is half the revenue that she makes in a year? She could be exaggerating. Okay. She could be exaggerating just to get Ernie to come. I guess. Why doesn't she just tell the big bulky wrestler to, like, tone it down? If Ernie broke two ribs last year, why doesn't she have a backup? Why doesn't she just go ask someone else now? Yeah. How convenient is it that Michael just happens to be standing there to overhear this conversation? And also presumably overhears the very loud dial tone that Amy somehow hears on her cell phone. Mm -hmm. Sure. Sure, sure, sure. Great. All of it. So plausible. Which, by the way, even if she weren't on a cell phone, when someone hangs up on you on, on a landline, you don't get a dial tone immediately. It waits a little while before it gives a dial yeah, tone. before it, like, resets itself. Hmm. Yeah, and half the time it's not even a dial tone, it's that... <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's, exa- that's what I'm thinking of. That's just, like, after a while so that you can hear that a phone is off the yeah. hook. Oh, yes. Oh, you're bringing back memories. Thank you, Ashley, for pointing that out. All right. So then right after Milton has told Max that Hubble doesn't talk to anyone, Hubble is super eager to talk to Jim. And Jim is super eager to have this bad man in his home. But maybe he's like, oh, well, we're going to be moving again in two weeks anyway. So it doesn't matter if he knows where I live. Whatever. He'll never find me. I'll be gone by the next time he's back. We've got another house all lined up. Hubble says the alien has been leaving a trail of carnage for the past 40 years, and his signature is the handprint. And so this must trigger Jim's memory of the 1959 photo Mm -hmm. of the corpse. But he also was aware of the handprint on Liz's body, so he must know that the handprint doesn't always kill. So wouldn't Jim be wondering, like, maybe this isn't always bad. Maybe, and we still don't know as the audience, if... Nacedo or whoever this person or these people are are actually killing folks or if they're like trying to heal people who are dying of something Mm -hmm. else and they're not successful as Max was there are a lot of unanswered questions but I mean maybe this is making Valenti think more because he is continuing you know he really kind of has a change of heart by the end of the episode we've already seen a little bit of it with his dad maybe he is starting to think about these things more and it's you know calling some of this into question for him I also never really thought about that but like the the handprints could be from failed attempts at saving people mm-hmm. because if they can manipulate molecular structure okay so you know he was there right after liz was shot he was able to you know essentially sew her up before she lost too much blood whereas if someone's already lost a lot of blood sewing them up isn't going to save them yeah so it, i mean it would mm-hmm. make sense that nosedo or, or whoever else it was could be trying to save these people and fail mm-hmm It would be suspicious for them to be around that many people on the verge of death, but we don't know. And so Hubble says, Jimmy, your father may have made a mistake that night and pulled the trigger on the wrong man, but he wasn't crazy. And you can see that Jim has already been coming to this conclusion. Hubble is super manipulative again and is like, hey, this is a killer. If you know something about it, it's our duty to team together now and do something And so Jim acknowledges that Max might have something to do with all this. Oh, no, Jim. No. So then we go to the Evans' house where Isabel is in the kitchen and Alex knocks on the door 
And he's like, oh, I was just in the neighborhood. But she knows that he's been hanging around their house for a little while before coming in, before, like, you know, getting the courage to knock on the door. Creepy. Also, he's at the back door. Why? Okay. Maybe, do they have, like, a corner lot? I mean, we've seen it from the outside. Do they have a corner lot where maybe their back door would be really accessible? Like, I've I've had friends who have, like, weirdly laid out houses where actually their back door is the more convenient entrance. Yeah, same. Yeah, maybe. But it's also the door that uh, the sheriff used, mm-hmm. which is weird. Well, that at least made slightly more sense because there was a kitchen fire and I guess he knew the kitchen was in the back of the house and saw the firemen going out. So he came in there for Alex is just like, was he like looking in the window and saw her in the kitchen and was like, aha. So yeah, she totally calls him out. Yeah, she looks super cute in her little red hoodie and her ponytail. I like this look much better for her than the little braids look. Very cute. And like, again, it's nice. He brought her this star chart book, which is very cute, but she's like. I like you, but I told you this isn't going to happen, and you have to stop with this. And she tells him that he's suffocating her, and he's like, he does immediately leave, which is good, but he's like, oh, I wouldn't want to suffocate anybody. I'm like, you don't get to have attitude about no, this. Not you at can all. go be sad about it or even upset about it on your own, but like, she hasn't actually done anything wrong. She's been very clear about what she wants and what she doesn't want, and if you keep pushing on it, yeah, she's going to eventually tell you off. Yeah, and like, suffocating is a strong word to use, sure. He put her in that position by not listening to her the first, like, couple times that she asked him to stop. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he kind of forced her to be a little more strong in the words she's choosing because he's not listening. So that's that's on him. Absolutely. Um, I did think it was funny in this scene when she says, she's like, Alex, this has to stop. And he says, it does. Yeah. Wait, what? What, what has to stop? <laughs> yeah. He yeah. just agrees with her because she's Isabel. He's like, whatever you say, baby. I know. Poor Alex. Like, yes, he put her in this uncomfortable position, but, like, my heart is still with him. Poor Alex and poor Isabel. Yes. Because this isn't really what she wants. It's what she feels like she has to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. It's a bummer for both of them. Speaking of bummers, Amy DeLuca is at the crashdown with the fantastic line, if I had known real life was going to be this difficult, I never would have signed up. <laughs> I was like, oh, Which same. raises the question, when did you sign up? Yeah. When did any of us sign up? Nobody told me that. I don't remember signing up for this. As Jen says a little bit later in this conversation, sorry, couldn't help but deeply relate. <laughs> yeah. Also a good line. Yes. So they're talking here about how men use their obsessions as an excuse to avoid commitment Alex comes in, they immediately know he's having girl problems. Because of his drink order. Because an orange soda on the rocks screams girl problems. Yeah, on the rocks. None of that warm orange soda like he usually drinks. (laughs) Give it to me on the rocks. And so when Alex says, like, what if your obsession is with a woman? They all act like this is the most bonkers thing they've ever heard and no man would ever be obsessed with a woman. But, like, this is an extremely common situation for a man to be obsessed with a woman. It can be very frightening and very dangerous for the woman this obviously doesn't only happen in hetero relationships but like it's pretty common Mm -hmm. and i feel like it's weird that none of them has like experienced this or is familiar with this and is like oh yeah that's also bad yeah i mean what about amy deluca who got arrested because valenti thought she was cute yeah it doesn't make a lot of sense it also doesn't make sense that milton comes in to tell amy she's missing her own wrestling match 
like her wrestler didn't show up and so she just left and didn't tell the other wrestler oh hey the match is off she left to drown her sorrows and root beer floats yeah and then we go to the wrestling match and in the ring by himself is someone who is maybe passed out maybe dead maybe hemorrhaging internally and everyone there has just completely left him alone in the ring by himself and someone's like oh i think maybe we should call an ambulance and then they all like ha 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 la di da di da what a match what? What is this? These people are awful. This person could be laying there dying. And then we find out that the alienator is actually Michael. He stepped up without letting anybody know because he cares about Maria and her family's livelihood, even though he doesn't want to admit it. Yeah. Michael's yeah. always doing these sweet things like that, but he like he doesn't want credit. He also always does these sweet things and then totally ruins it yes he tells maria that it was easy money but like he never talked to amy so how does he know how much he's getting paid if he's even getting paid right where did he get the costume was it just like laying around and he put it on and got in the ring and the other wrestler was like yeah seems legit whatever no questions i mean maybe amy had provided the costume and there was you know the official like alienator costume and it was so it was like in a dressing room or green room somewhere and he just went found it it's very enterprising of him Money's money, man. (laughs) But he has no idea how much money it is. I mean, if you don't have any money, then any money is better than no money. Okay. It's true. You know, if you're broke. He knows it is a paid gig. Yeah. He just doesn't know how much the gig is paying. Right. So then we get this like weird slow-mo close-up on Maria as she leans in to kiss Michael. And he pulls back and says, mud. I'm thinking about mud. And she's like, you can see in her head, she's like, Jesus Christ, what the heck, man? But out loud, she says, oh, why do I even try? And it's so sad. Poor Maria. Also, like, at least Max was smart enough to, like, add pie, mud pie, and try to make it relevant. (laughs) Michael just has no tact. So he doesn't even try. No. But I also, like, it wouldn't have been hard for him to be like, I'm thinking about mud because I can't do this with you, and so I don't want to think about you because I am having these feelings right now that I don't want to have. Right. He's already told her this, that, like, she makes him feel like he's not a stone wall. So he could just be like, I don't want to insult you. I just, like, I have told you that I can't do this with you. And so, yes, I made this nice gesture for you, but I think maybe you're reading more into it than I intended. And so... This can't happen. Yeah. But he does not have anywhere near the emotional maturity for that. Also, really not cool to kiss someone who doesn't want to kiss you. And is possibly concussed and therefore unable to consent fully. Yes. But he he didn't say he was hurt. He said he's just resting. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Totally. Mm -hmm. Just resting with all four of his limbs up in traction eventually. Um, So that's when we go back to Valenti's office, I believe. And he's looking on... A database, looking at the photos that Hubble gave, he zooms in on the photo of the woman that Hubble wouldn't give him the name of and finds a license plate number. So that's when he looks it up and sees that, oh, there actually was a Sheila Hubble and that car was registered to her. Which is very convenient, uh, especially for 1970, when I think for most married couples, big purchases were made by the men and cars and things were registered in their names. Maybe Sheila was one of the 43% of women who worked outside of the home at the time, and she was just like, this is my car. 
it needed to be hers for plot reasons. You know what? Good for her. Good for you, Sheila. Yes. Sheila, clearly a feminist. Yeah. Although I don't know why she was with this crappy man then. You know, honestly, I think that maybe this trauma turned him crappy. Maybe. You know, just out here making excuses for crappy men. (laughs) I don't know why, but... (laughs) No, we never know what trauma people have gone through and how it's affected them, but it's not excuse bad behavior towards others. It's so true. Just uh, an explanation sometimes. So then in the UFO Center office, Hubble goes up to Max because Milton has said he wants to see him. It would have made more sense for Milton to just have this conversation with Hubble himself if they were face-to-face, but whatever. Shatner dropped out. Oh, no. We're not going to get to see William Shatner in this episode. Everyone's disappointed. We were all expecting him to come through. I was waiting for him. And then Hubble says Max's tenacity has won him over and makes up what is clearly a story, a fake story, about how his slides are at his house and his car is busted. And of course, Max is like, I'll drive you. And he's like, I knew you would. Um, A funny little side story is that uh, he said that he's staying in Bitter Lake. So I looked up Bitter Lake, which is um, a wildlife refuge just northeast of the city in Roswell. When I found it on Google, you know, Google often has for locations, um, they'll have questions and answers. So there are a bunch of different questions on there, like about where the best place for fishing is and camping and hiking, whatever. And then there's one question that said, have you seen aliens and where? (laughs) And one person responded, actually a, a like certified tour guide or in the area responded and said, aliens are among us and they live everywhere. Yeah. Oh, that's wow. great. Oh. And that was the only question and answer that showed up before I clicked see more. Yes. Nice. Yes. We can add that to our list of places to visit on our Roswell road trip. Yeah, honestly, it sounds great. It's a wildlife mm-hmm. refuge. Yeah. I would love to so go there. Probably people don't live there. Right. That was also don't my thought. think you're allowed. Maybe there's like a lodge next to it, like on across the street. I don't know. Maybe they just thought, what a great name. We're going to use it in the show. For this bitter old man. Yeah. So we go back to the asylum where Jim is telling his dad that he was right about Hubble having a wife. He shows him a clipping from the Bitter Lake Daily Journal, which also has terrible headline writers. The top article with no credited author is called Sheila Hubble found murdered at Pepper's Cafe in Bitter Lake. So much information that we will need for later in this episode. Mm -hmm. But that your average reader would be like, wow, who is Sheila Hubble? Why do I care what particular cafe she was murdered at? (laughs) This is a very long headline. The actual article text, if you pause, is about President Clinton's health care plan. So super (laughs) weird that they have a photo of Sheila Hubble. Hmm. Who knows? The article in the adjoining column is about Bosnia. What a great little international spread of stories we get in this Local paper. local paper. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that can't write oh headlines effectively. <laughs> I know, like murder in bitterly. Yeah. Simple. Right. Simple. They- local woman found murdered. But we get this big reveal, uh, or we get the lead up to this big reveal, rather, where the sheriff confirms that Hubble came to Jim Sr. with his story about a drifter who murdered his wife, and then Hubble persuaded you, seduced you, and you helped him find that drifter. Isn't that right, Dad? 
and he just wants his dad to tell him what's been going on. Jim says that his dad killed an innocent man because of Hubble, and he just wants to know the full story, which we're about to get. Yes, we are. But we're doing, like, this back and forth thing between Jim and his dad and Max and uh, Hubble to, like, build up the tension of what's about to happen. I think it's really well done. I think in general this episode was well paced, well set up. Good job, writers, director, whoever did that. And so Michael sees Max and Hubble heading out for Bitter Lake, asks Larry what's going on. Michael follows Max. We never find out how. Maybe he hitchhiked again. He doesn't seem to have a car with him when he shows up. Yeah. I have notes about that later when he shows up. I'm like, how did he get here? Did he run really fast behind the car? How did he get here? I picture him just like hooked onto the undercarriage like people are always doing to escape from things in movies. It's just like holding onto the engine with his bare hands. But then we get the big reveal that Hubble is the one who actually shot and killed this man, not James Valenti Sr., Mm -hmm. who says, whatever you do, Jimmy, don't trust him. And we all collectively go, oh, shit. So this is obviously a huge problem because Max is now alone in a car with Hubble, who is telling him about how much he loved his wife and they like to take these drives together and he knew she was the right one. It's in the kiss he saw fireworks and max says "Ooh, that happened to him once when he kissed a girl and there was literal fireworks happening (laughs) yeah and then hubble starts to imply that max is the alien who killed his wife he says on their first anniversary sheila had a surprise for him and he had one for her which was going to be the fireworks and they pulled into pepper's cafe but you know that don't you and max is like huh It takes Max a really long time to understand what is happening. Mm -hmm. Yes, it does. Which, like, I kind of get because this is super out of left field from Max's perspective. But I think he should have realized earlier on that this man was dangerous Mm -hmm. and potentially thought he was someone that he was not. Another example here of really good direction. They're intercutting these black and white flashback shots with the modern day shots as they're approaching the location. And the uh, there's, like, there's an increasing darkness in both the storyline and in like the literal environment. It's getting darker and darker as the sun is going down and as Max's situation is getting more dire. So I thought that was cool. Yeah, I agree. And Hubble says, I didn't have a good time. Not that night. Not any night since. Yeah. The second he says not that, it's like, you know what's coming next. It's totally like a TV trope or movie trope. So then we leave them in the middle of a pretty intense situation to Mm -hmm. go to the crash down where larry comes in going on and on about how he's not a hunter he's a gatherer and jen is working at the crash down now she has on a little apron and she's wiping down tables and she works here now well because liz needed help and and because there's nothing like bonding over misandry yep (laughs) you know it's like she's so close with liz all of a sudden so i didn't like this was one line i really didn't like where larry tells jen i had an epiphany and she says really i thought you said it was an allergy attack it's that thing where like you make a character dumb just for the laugh like oh jen doesn't know what the word epiphany means ha ha look at her she's so stupid i was just like what a bummer do we have to do this to her really like let her have her moment this guy's telling her he's finally ready to get married he's clearly not as evidenced by his face when he hugs her yeah 
And I think appropriately in the original broadcast of this, the song that played here was Sheryl Crow's My Favorite Mistake. And then somewhat less fittingly, here we have a song called Lucky by a band called Shurston. Uh, And this is the second time we get the word kismet. Larry says that it's kismet and he wants to settle down in Roswell, which makes me wonder why, per IMDb, we never see these characters again. Yeah. Jen seems happy to work at the crashdown and have a normal life. And Larry's a jerk. She could do better. Yeah, it's a little weird. It's like they start this story that they don't finish. Right. Like, this is supposed to be the big happy ending, but if they're staying in Roswell like, presumably this would continue to cause problems. It's not like he's decided he's not interested in what happened between Max and Liz anymore. Mm-hmm. So wouldn't he still be poking into it? Yeah, you would think. Another question I had was raised by this little tiny scene we get of the sheriff driving down the highway. And I was wondering how he knew Hubble would take Max to Pepper's Cafe. And I think maybe he could have intuited it because he knew that that's where uh, Hubble's wife was killed. Mm-hmm. So maybe... I have no idea how Michael knew that that's where they would be going because he got all this information from Larry, who I don't think knew this. So is Mike, maybe he, yeah, he must have been hanging on to the undercarriage. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Just like more fuel for our theory that he just was holding on to the back or undercarriage of the Jeep. Or just went for a nice mm-hmm. swift jog and followed the Jeep. How fast can uh, <laughs> aliens run? True, true. We don't know. Yeah. Or, you know, who knows? Hitchhiked and did a whole did a classic follow that car. Yeah. We did see him in Into the Woods use a brand new to him healing power on River Dog's ankle. That's true. So maybe he also developed a teleportation power mm-hmm. that came with a psychic power so he could know where Max was going and then just get there. At exactly the right moment. Or levitation. I mean, maybe he flew and just was watching them from overhead. Mm -hmm. Yes, these all seem equally plausible. We could go on for days, but instead, (laughs) we'll finish the episode. Yeah. (laughs) Right. We finish with Max and Hubble. There is a very sad story. The surprise that Sheila had for him was that she was three months pregnant with a little girl. Mm -hmm. It's very sad. It is really sad. Doesn't give Hubble the right to go around killing people and ruining people's lives. No. He said that he felt like a dead man walking all these years and that the incident led to four innocent people losing their lives. His wife, his baby, that drifter, and him. This seems especially callous when we find out that, like, well, we know at this point that he killed the the person he's referring to as the drifter. Yeah. Yeah. So, Okay. But he says the only thing that kept him alive was you, meaning the alien who he thinks killed his wife. And like still Max hasn't figured out that this is what he's being accused of. Still clueless. And so Hubble does come out with this thing where he's like, oh, well, you're a shapeshifter. Like you shifted into the drifter and then you shifted again to keep people off your trail. And that's why you kill people to keep them from finding out your secret. Which like, to be fair, isn't something that I would have thought of if someone were like, you were there. I'm like, no, that's before I was born. Like, obviously, you know, I wasn't there. It wouldn't have occurred to me like, no, he probably just thinks I'm a shapeshifter. <laughs> and that's what he's accusing me of. Obviously. So, all right, fair. But Max should have been more suspicious because this guy is clearly bad news. Yeah, totally. And he pulls a gun. Hubble pulls a gun. Oh, so bad. Luckily, Michael is magically there Mm -hmm. to distract him for long enough for Max to, like, think very quickly and tackle Hubble to the ground. And then Hubble sees him use his powers. (gasps) 
and lives to tell the tale for a few mm-hmm. minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Just for a few. So Max, like, magics the gun away, but then doesn't pick it up when Valenti arrives and they, like, stand, which you would think, pick up the gun, throw it away or something. Yeah. But it's a tense situation. Very stressful, very frightening. I get it. But still, that's the first thing you do once you wrestle a gun from someone. I mean, they were both on the ground. Michael should have run and grabbed the gun. Maybe. I hope to never be in a situation where I find out how I would react to this. Same. So I will try not to judge these characters for their reactions. I will judge them because they are (laughs) fictional, so I don't feel bad about it. That's fine. And Hubble tells Valenti he just saw Max's power, and you can kind of see Valenti being like, ooh. And you can definitely see Max being completely terrified, great acting from Jason Bear. Yes. And Hubble, for some reason, thinks that Valenti, like, isn't going to shoot him when he's threatening to murder a child in front of him. Threatening to kill an Mm. unarmed minor. And this is where we get it badass line from Valenti because Hubble is like, you can go ahead and unload all your bullets into me and and Valenti's like, it only takes one. Hell yeah. Yeah. And then demonstrates this when Hubble shows that he is not going to stop and he is going to kill Max. Valenti's like, nope. And Valenti does a good job of running up, kicking the gun away, and then checking Hubble's pulse to make sure he's dead. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Pretty sure you don't die that quickly from a torso shot. Hubble is, like, immediately just flatlined, but okay. Jim is, like, semi-apologetic. He says he didn't know this was going to happen. And then Max has this, oh. Like a breakdown. Yeah. Yeah. Max is like, what did you tell him? Why did he come after me? And then he says, you're the sheriff. You're supposed to protect me, but all you've done is go after me. You're just, like, Hubble. And I think this is where the sheriff is like, oh, mm-hmm. this yeah. is a good point. Yeah. That's a wake up call for him, for sure. And then totally, I like this is where I was saying earlier that like, even though we don't get to see Kyle in this episode where we kind of see this shift is uh, Valenti has called many people's son throughout the course of the half season we've seen so far, I feel like. Mm-hmm. But he calls Max son and Max says, son, would you treat your son this way? And I feel like that's what really finally clicks home with Valenti and is like, yeah, I need to get my shit together. And that Max really has a great point of you're supposed to be protecting me. Yeah. And I also like that Michael here gets to be the one who's trying to calm down Max. Max is understandably like kind of going off here. He's just been involved in something deeply traumatic yeah and is reacting to it and Michael's trying to hold him back yeah which is a nice role reversal for them but Michael just like steps back and when Max is like no like I need to say what I'm gonna say Michael's like all right and lets him say his piece and then Valenti tells him to get out of here and not tell anyone they were there which is very nice of him but will make it very difficult for him Mm -hmm. to explain why he has shot somebody Mm -hmm. I don't know how this is gonna go over And then Valenti radios in and says he's been involved in a code four. I know that all police jurisdictions have their own codes. Where I live and in a lot of places, uh, code four is like all clear, no further (laughs) assistance needed. Mm. And not officer involved shooting, which is what has actually happened. So that kind of pulled me out of this a little bit. But I don't know. Maybe in Roswell, it's different. I also was thinking Bitter Lake might be outside his jurisdiction. The actual, like, Bitter Lake refuge Mm -hmm. is in Chavez County, 
So if this were the Chavez County Sheriff's Department, which it would be in real life, it would be in his jurisdiction. Right. Because it's Whatever the Roswell City Sheriff's Department, which isn't a thing. <laughs> I don't know. Valenti might have just straight up, like, murdered someone from the legal standpoint. And Max tells Michael he thinks that the alien they've been looking for has killed people. And this is all very sad and very dramatic. And all I could think was poor Milton sitting there. At the convention, waiting for this roundtable to start, oh, and oh, has oh. to go and get ruined with all this murder. Poor guy. He's lost all of his guests, except for Frakes. Right, he probably has a room full of people sitting there waiting to hear from the great Mr. Hubble, who is not coming. He's lost his only reliable employee in Max. Very sad. Poor Milton. Oh, I um, one of the books that I consult when we do these... Um, Little Watches is called Crash Into Me, The World of Roswell by Robin Burnett. And I really liked a line from this. So I wanted to read it all for you, if that's okay. Yes, please do. So this is from their episode synopsis. And I quote, considering all the pressure Max has been under, much of it self-induced. Yes. <laughs> it's great to finally see him break and allow Michael to be the calm, rational one. In the tradition of an old Western, the convention provides us with a villain, a showdown after sunset, and a hero who prevails. Look out, Roswell. There's a new <laughs> sheriff in town. Oh. End quote. <laughs> yeah. I really like this. Yes. Because, like, yes, there is a new sheriff in town. It seems like Valenti is turning over a new leaf. Yeah. Like, he's seen his possible future in Hubble's path, and he's turning away from it. He realizes there's more complexity to his dad's story than he previously thought. Mm -hmm. So he's, like, rethinking a lot of things in his life, reconsidering the blame mm -hmm. that he's placed on his father. Yeah. So now we just need to see him work on that relationship with Kyle mm -hmm. so that they can have a stronger and healthier relationship than the one that Jim had with his dad. Yeah. Ashley. Um, I just looked up Roswell Police Chavez County Sheriff Coats. Uh, oh, code okay. for oh. a shooting. Wow. A code 10-4 is okay. Oh. oh, that sounds confusing. <laughs> so there's like, there's the police codes and then there's 10, 10 codes, which are like 10-1, 10-2, 10-3, 10-4. just a code mm. four alone is a shooting. And the, the codes without the 10 seem to be like mm. uh, shooting, Yeah, so stabbing, your 10 codes are usually like assault. where you explain your status. Right, and the other ones, yeah, the 10 codes are like, mm. okay, busy, out of service. And the regular ones are like, suicide, robbery, yeah, assault. Yeah, the so. Huh, hmm. well, there you have it, folks. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode, and um, that means it's time for two more little bits of fun. Um, first up, we have Hot and Saucy. Now let's see. Who's hot and saucy? Saucy. So who were y'all's picks for hot and saucy? Who wants to go first this week? I guess I'll go first. <laughs> <laughs> so my pick for hot and saucy, he very quickly ruins it. But my pick for hot and saucy is Michael. Right in that moment after it is revealed that he 
did the wrestling match for Maria and her mom, and we see that he still cares about Maria, and he's trying to do something nice for her, and I felt like the moment of slow-mo into the kiss is supposed to be, like, us seeing Maria in slow motion from his perspective, because Max has said, like, he always sees Liz in slow motion, and, like, that's sort of, like, his, like, he's so distracted by her, so I felt like that was what was happening there that we're seeing Maria from Michael's perspective and seeing how much he really does still care about her, even though he's trying to pretend he doesn't. And then he very quickly ruins it by talking about mud and Maria gets mad and leaves. But that little moment where we realize he really does have feelings for her. That's my hot and saucy moment. I thought this was a really rough episode um, because there's not a lot of like romantic or sexy stuff going on. I thought about Isabel because mm-hmm. setting boundaries is hat, but I give it to Isabel all the time. So I think I'm going to go with Sheriff Valenti, although I will put him on notice that he could have this rescinded if he doesn't continue <laughs> his character growth. But growing and changing as a person and admitting that you have been wrong in the past and striving to do better in the future is very sexy. And so is Bill Sadler. <laughs> so there you go. So I'm also going to give it to the sheriff this episode. Um, I often take hot and saucy to mean sassy. Mm -hmm, (laughs) Um, mm -hmm. And because Lisa thinks he's hot, I don't exactly. But, uh, you know, because he can be considered (laughs) hot. And I did think this line was saucy. I'm giving it to him for the moment where he said, it only takes one. Mm. Although guns bullets and shooting and anything related is not sexy or saucy or anything positive um it's fictional and i liked his confidence there okay yeah and like he was just gonna do what he needed to do yeah no question he knew he was not gonna let hubble kill max Um, And then we have Lisa's predictions. So, Lisa, the next episode title is Blind Date. What do you see happening next in the show and for our characters based on that title? Oh, boy. That sounds dreadful. Because blind dates sound dreadful. (laughs) I hope that... I don't know. Hmm. I hope that either Liz or Maria gets to go on a blind date. I hope it's Maria. I hope that she finds someone who is willing to treat her better than Michael has been treating her and who can give her what she needs emotionally. I don't really think Liz is, like, ready to date yet since she's referring to Max as her boyfriend. But if she goes on a blind date, good for her. I hope it works out and she's not as whiny about it as she is about Max. And then, like I said, I also want Jim to fix things with Kyle and it seems like he is coming over more to the kids side of things so I would like to see more of that as well more Jim and Kyle please yeah all right thanks for joining us this week at the 10th annual UFO convention we'll be back on Tuesday February 18th with episode 14 blind date But first, join us next Tuesday for our mini-sode where we will be discussing human-alien relationships in some of our very favorite TV shows. In the meantime, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get podcasts. 
you can check us out online at roswellhotsauce.com or on Twitter and Instagram at roswellhotsauce. Our email address is roswellhotsauce at gmail.com. Please feel free to shoot us a message there if you have any comments or suggestions for us for our podcast. We would be happy to hear them. Pass the Hot Sauce is produced and edited by Ashley Hellett. Our theme music is by David Belcourt. Our logo was designed by Billy Murray. Until next time, remember... You can't let yourself be led around by your... energy source.